Welcome to this Peer Voice activity. To access the entire activity, including supporting material, go to www.peervoice.com forward slash BEG. This activity is supported by Novartis Pharma AG. Welcome to this Peer Voice panel discussion on inherited retinal dystrophies. This activity comprises four presentations featuring various experts and patient advocates. At any time during this presentation, you may download supporting materials and share this activity with colleagues. Hello, my name is Jacqueline Turner. I'm a genetic counsellor working in the Clinical Genetics Centre for Ophthalmology in the Mater Hospital in Dublin, Ireland. Today, I'm going to show you a snapshot on genetic counselling, a parent of a child with an IRD, and also I'm going to mention genetic counselling of an adult patient with an IRD. Joining me is a patient advocate, Neve, who's the parent of the child with the IRD. Genetic counselling is a process. It's a process helping patients to understand the reason for their eye disease, understanding how patients and families are coping to date, explaining how what we know about the gene and its function and how it's inherited, referring patients on for other investigations if that's necessary, and discuss supports available and future clinical therapies and trials. Prior to seeing patients for genetic counselling, the patient sample is panel-sequenced for over 350 genes which can cause an IRD. I take a detailed family history highlighting the eye conditions in the family, but also any other conditions that might be inherited in the family. We have a detailed multidisciplinary discussion where we discuss the gene found, the family history, and any clinical pictures that have been taken of the patient. If a variant has been found that is unique and that hasn't been seen before in someone affected with the condition, we can see if we can reclassify the variant by testing the parents or other members of the family. Let me now introduce you to Nee. She's going to share her story and how her daughter was diagnosed with Leber's congenital amaurosis. Nee, could you explain a little bit about how you came to the Opsology team? Thank you, Jackie. Um... So my husband and I had concerns very early on in the first few weeks after our daughter was born. Um, in terms of her visual behaviour, she wasn't looking at us and she wasn't fixing on objects and following them. And there was some light staring. Um, so when she had her routine six-week checkup with her GP, she still wasn't fixing or following objects. And there was a slight nystagmus present at that stage also. So from there, we were referred to a paediatrician. We wanted to wait for a month or so to see if there was any improvement, but things really just stayed the same. So at that point, we saw an ophthalmologist when she was 11 weeks old and he did the electrophysiology and the result was that the ERG was flat. And at that point, she was diagnosed with a retinopathy and he strongly suspected that this was likely LCA caused by the RPE65 mutation. So that same day, her blood was taken and sent for genetic testing. And we got the results from that when she was about six months old, which confirmed um, LCA caused by RPE65 mutation. 
When my daughter was nine months old, we had a follow-up meeting with the ophthalmologist who specialises in ocular genetics, and he explained that the test confirmed LCA caused by the RPE65 gene mutation. Um, the, there was a treatment available, but it wasn't available for children as, as young as our daughter at that time, and it also wasn't available in Ireland for us either. So from that meeting, when she was nine months old, we were then referred for genetic counselling and I met Jackie when my daughter was just about to be two years of age. Counselling. So how were you feeling at the time when you were first told that she might have LCA? Did you did you go away and look it up and how did that feel? Yes, so at the time, I suppose we were very upset at the mention of LCA but also, the, you know, we started to read and inform ourselves about the condition and about the other possible conditions that could be causing our child's visual problems. So um, I guess it was just a double-edged thing. We didn't want it to be anything, but if it was going to be something, we wanted it to be this caused by the RPE65 mutation. Um, so I suppose we did feel very upset, but we had hope, I suppose, in the sense of it could, it could be this one condition that has a treatment so I guess we just proceeded with that. Oh. So in this case, the ophthalmologist took the sample for testing as he suspected a genetic eye disease. The genetic test in this case will confirm his clinical findings. The laboratory will have the information from all the genes on the panel, but they won't analyse them all. They're guided by the clinician. In this case, they're looking closely at those genes that cause Leber's congenital amaurosis. Knowing the gene is increasingly helping us to give some estimation of the prognosis and if the condition is progressive or not. Therapies are very likely going to be gene-specific, so knowing the gene responsible will enable you to be put forward for an appropriate therapy if or when one is available. Knowing the gene will allow us to determine how a condition is inherited and may mean that there is a test available for a future pregnancy if the parents wish to choose that. So we didn't meet Need until her daughter was almost two years of age. And what we needed to do before we met Need was confirm that one of the variants was pathogenic but the other variant hadn't been seen before. It is what we call a VU, a variant of unknown significance. It was necessary in this case to confirm that both parents carried one of the variants seen in Need's daughter and thereby confirm that they are on separate chromosomes. This was enough to upgrade the variant from a VU or a variant of unknown significance to a likely pathogenic variant and a new report was issued. Patients need to have variants that are likely pathogenic or pathogenic in order to be eligible for a clinical trial or for a treatment when it becomes available. So, Neve, I explained to you in clinic with the use of diagrams that this condition is recessive. There is a one in four chance of this condition occurring again in a future pregnancy. You have one older son and have no concerns about his vision. Sometimes we are aware that there is a second child, often younger, that might be affected and we need to be mindful regarding timing as parents may be faced with the knowledge that they have two children affected with a progressive eye condition. 
So if the parents are very anxious, we would generally offer screening, usually by way of medical examination first, and then organize the genetic testing afterwards. So your daughter, Neve, carried two disease-causing changes in RPE65, and therefore she was eligible for treatment. The only question remains when the therapy will take place. The therapy is not yet available in Ireland, although it's in the process of being an approved treatment. Can you explain your journey to treatment and how you feel now that treatment has been performed? Yes, well, our, our consultant ophthalmologist made the referral um, to the London Hospital um, and did that through the Treatment Abroad Scheme here in Ireland. Um, and that application was approved for funding So we were able to travel to the UK for her to have the treatment. And at the time, I suppose, of that referral and that process, children under the age of three were not being treated. Um, So our daughter was treated when she was about three and a half. Um, And once everything was approved in terms of funding, it was fairly smooth for us to travel and have a consultation in London. And then we traveled for surgeries, uh, for two separate surgeries um, a month apart. So, so you notice a big improvement in her vision? Yes, I would say her visual acuity, her, um, her vision in dim light is, is very different. You know, in the past, she wouldn't really have been able to see indoors when it's dark outside, even with all the lights on inside. Um, and all of that is gone now. You know, even after the first eye was treated, I think maybe two weeks after the first eye was treated, we found her sitting up in bed looking at a book in dim light. And I mean, that had never happened before. That's wonderful. So it was just amazing. That was just at two weeks after the first stop. So I feel that we were very fortunate that she was picked up um, so young and that um, the diagnosis was so accurate so early. Um, so she's doing really well. She's about to start school in September. So prior to treatment, she would have had to start school with definitely a cane and an adult assistant with her in class but now she can go to school with nothing other than her glasses so I guess that's the difference that the treatment has made for her. That's wonderful to hear. So there are actually up to 24 different genes that can cause LCA and RPE65 is just one of those genes. So until we have the genetic information from all those affected with LCA in the country We can't tell the prevalence of RPE65 LCA in in Ireland. So this shows the importance of a genetic register. And we expect the prevalence to be between 1.8% and 22% of LCA to be caused by RPE65. There's no gene therapy treatment available as yet for the other 23 different genes that cause LCA. RPE65 can also cause dominant disease. We've talked today just now about um, RPE65 causing a Leber's congenital amaurosis, which is a recessive condition. But we have found that RPE65, a single mutation, can cause a retinitis pigmentosa choroidremia picture in a number of families in Ireland. This genetic change appears to cause the enzyme RPE65 to fold differently and therefore produces a dominant negative effect. It is unclear if the families are related or if this change happened more than once. It is likely that they are all related. 
Those with this gene change generally present with night blindness, followed by problems with their peripheral vision. We know that some people, even within the same family, can present with macular changes. Again, we don't know how prevalent RPE65 disease is. In Europe, it's estimated to account for 0.23% to 4.27% of RP. So we met with a, the family of um, an adult patient with RPE65, a dominant mutation in RPE65. So this girl had retinitis pigmentosa and as had other members of her family. So for her, the chance of passing this gene on was a 50-50 or a one in two chance each pregnancy, irrespective of whether she was going to have a boy or a girl. The condition can be variable as to when it presents. We have now a gene test that will enable those people without signs to see if they are likely to develop this condition in the future. This helps some patients plan for their future. As yet, there is no treatment available for this condition. There is no evidence that adding more working copy of RPE65 will help stabilize or improve the vision. We need to prove using a suitable animal model that adding more working RPE65 will stabilize or improve the vision before a human clinical trial can begin. What is heartening now is that much is already known about this gene and that research is ongoing. So after genetic counselling, we follow up our patients every one to two years. We want patients to have their best possible vision. So we want to ensure that they don't develop secondary complications such as cataracts or cysts growing on the back of their retina. Cataracts can be treated with surgery and the cysts can be treated with either in injections or with tablets. But we'd also know, have a good knowledge of the natural history of the condition caused by a particular gene. And then we'll know when is the optimal time for therapy. So in conclusion, genetic counselling is important as patients and parents have a reason for their or their child's eye condition and can understand how it's inherited. Genetic counselling ensures that other family members or other family history of other conditions is considered. It is important for patients to understand that we all carry genes that don't work. That's just how we are made. Most of the variants we carry are meaningless. Some are even beneficial, but some of them are disease-causing. Knowing the particular gene that's causing their eye condition can empower patients to keep informed about their condition and to keep track of the potential therapies coming down the line. Having a register will allow us quickly find patients for trials and research. As I said, there's no rare disease register in Ireland. We want patients to have their best possible vision, and this is why we assess patients every one to two years. We want patients to adjust as much as possible to their sight loss and to be aware of the supports that are available. For a patient, we want to ensure that they're trial ready and that their report indicates whether it's a likely pathogenic or a pathogenic variant. It is important, finally, to give patients hope. We want people to go away feeling a little bit hopeful that things are happening. It may not be for their particular G, but generally there is progress happening. So I'd like to thank the audience for joining us today, and I'd like to thank 
especially Neve, for sharing her story with us. This has been an activity published by Peer Voice.